Our scripture today is taken from Acts 22, verse 22, through Acts 23, verse 11. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that they should be examined, that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, what are you about to do for this man is a Roman citizen? So the tribune came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet, and he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him in the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you ordered me to be struck? Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' parties stood up and contended sharply, sharply. We find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, Violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, let me say a thank you to HCC downtown for inviting me here this morning. Uh, I think the last time I preached downtown was at an evening service five years ago. So it must have been a great sermon to get invited back five years later. And I, I look forward to being back with you in, in 2016, or no, 2026. 
Uh, since you have me just for today, I want to talk about scandals. Before my dad died last year, he was the CEO of a nonprofit called United Ability. It's an organization that serves children and adults with disabilities uh, and their families. And a number of years ago, United Ability um, and my dad as the leader got wrapped up in a scandal. The state's richest man was a billionaire who made his fortune from a healthcare company that he created. And he was also dirty. He was indicted and convicted in federal court of 30 counts of money laundering, extortion, obstruction of justice, racketeering, and bribery. Now, since my dad's organization is a nonprofit, a good amount of their funding comes through private donations. And guess who their biggest donor was? This guy. And of course, they didn't know this guy was dirty, but what do you do when someone donates a large amount of money to your organization? You put their name on your building. So one day, my dad finds himself the, the, the beneficiary of a corrupt billionaire's generosity with this guy's name on one of their buildings, watching this guy go off to jail. And then to really make things sticky for my dad, someone from the public radio show Marketplace calls him and asks him, are you going to keep the name on his building? And the answer ended up being no, but there was, here's my dad, embroiled in a scandal that he wanted nothing to do with. Well, in the passage that Jenny just read a moment ago, the Apostle Paul finds himself embroiled in a scandal that nearly gets him killed twice. And it's not just Paul. Whoever is confronted with the claims of Christianity is confronted with scandal. Here's the scandal. That Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, is the hope of the world. That's, that, that's the scandal. Actually, I'll put it more simply. That Jesus Christ is the scandal of the world. Three things I want to say about that. Number one, there's a scandal of inclusion. Jesus Christ is the scandal of the world, and there's a scandal of inclusion. It, as the, 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 the passage starts, we're kind of jumping into the middle of, of a scene. Something's going on already. So verse 22 of chapter 22 says, Up to this word, they listened to him, and they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he shouldn't be allowed to live. Well, what, what word? What, what word provokes their hostility? Well, we just look back one verse to verse uh, 21. And he said to me, go and I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So here's Paul. He's addressing this hostile mob. He, and he said, it's always starts. He said, you know what? I used to be a guy who persecuted Christians. And they're, they're like, okay, that's cool. Then he says, but then I met Jesus of Nazareth, and he's actually the Jewish Messiah. All right, we're, we're listening. And this, this, this Jesus Christ, the Jewish Messiah, he forgave all my sins. Okay, keep going. And now Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, has sent me to proclaim this good news to the Gentiles, people who aren't Jews. In other words, God's plans for his people aren't just for his people, but other people are now becoming his people too. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. God's love and, and his purposes include them too? There's no way. Off with his head. The scandal of Jesus is that he's for the world. It's a scandal of inclusion. 
Now, some people object to Christianity today because they think it's too exclusive. It, look at what it does. It draws limits around how you live your life. It draws limits around the, the deepest corners of who you are, your deepest identity. It draws limits around what you believe. Yes, there, there, there's, there's exclusion there. Some people say, well, yeah, that's too exclusive. But before the charge that it is too exclusive, the first scandal is that it's too inclusive. Jesus is for them too? Yeah. Now, before we get too comfortable here and say, you know, oh, if, if, if Jesus is for the world, then that's great. I, I, can, I can be part of this world and everything will be smooth and easy. But before we get too comfortable with that, the, the very next verses are here to disillusion us. The, the Roman soldier here, he, he's going to flog Paul to find out, you know, what's, what, what's, what's all this about. And what flogging means is that they would take a whip and at the, the tip of the whip would be bits of bone or glass or something. And so were they to actually do this to Paul, it could kill him, if not leave him disabled for life if he survives. So Paul goes from almost being lynched by a mob to now to nearly being the victim of state-sponsored torture. But Paul appeals to his citizenship in verse 25. He says, when they stretched him out on the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? And he's right, by the way. It, it is illegal for, this, for the Roman soldier to do this. And the, the tribune says, you know, my, my citizenship cost me a lot. I, he means he had, he had to bribe the right people. And Paul says, well, I, I inherited mine. But the, the point is, is that even though he's a, he's a, a citizen in good standing with Rome, he doesn't fit very well here, does he? If the scandal of Jesus is for, is that he's for the world, it doesn't mean that Christians are easily at home in the world. But, but go back to the heart of the scandal, that Jesus Christ is for the world and that's scandalous. It's still scandalous today. There's a man named Jarvis Williams. He's an African-American New Testament scholar at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, a very conservative place. He's got a book coming out in a, a month and a half or so called Redemptive Kingdom Diversity. And here's what, it, here's what he means. He's, by redemptive kingdom diversity, I mean God's holistic redemption of the entire creation through Jesus' death for diverse Jews and Gentiles and through his victorious resurrection from the dead. And he says that now that, that, that this redemption creates an ethnically and culturally diverse body in harmony with itself and in harmony with a God who created it and saved it. That's what he's saying. And guess what some corners of the internet are saying about Jarvis Williams? Basically, away with such a fellow from the earth. He's, uh, this, he's a liberal. He's a Marxist. He's, he's, he's abandoned the gospel. It's only in a bizarre world is, are those charges actually true. But he's saying that Jesus Christ is for the world, and that for the world is going to shape our communities into something that's, that's wonderfully and beautifully ethnically diverse, and it's scandalous. And it's not just some corners of the internet, by the way. Basically, everyone does something like this. Susan Field Harding is an anthropologist, and she's coined a term called the repugnant cultural other. The, the RCO, the, the repugnant cultural other. 
what she means is that it's, it's when you're, you're in one group, one tribe, and, and there's, there's another group, another tribe that you are, that, that is instinctively, automatically repugnant to you. They just, they're the enemy. They, they, kind of, they prompt the gag reflex. And Alan Jacobs, a writer, has taken this and said, he says, basically, we all have RCOs. He says, it's in this climate today, it's more important to hate the RCO than to affirm and support the people who agree with you. How do I know you're one of us? Because you hate the right people. Here's a thought experiment. What, what feelings bubble up in you when I say these words? Red state. Suburbs. North side. South side. Democrat. Republican. What, 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 I can go on, but what, 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 what group provokes this instinctive gag reflex in you? Now, it doesn't mean that, that these groups and all groups, they don't have these, their own destructive cultural idols, but are they beyond the reach of the grace of Jesus Christ? And I, I'll confess to you, this is really hard for me at the moment. This season, so much division over the past 18 months, I've had relationships that have ended. I've had relationships that have gotten a lot harder. And some people, I feel like we see things so differently that we might as well be on different planets. And I, I kind of wish we were on different planets, to be honest. I'm, 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 I'm pro-Mars colonization on this matter sometimes. But the scandal of Jesus is a scandal of inclusion. It's, it's his grace for everybody. There's, there's no one, no tribe, no group that cannot look to Jesus for love and mercy and find it. And you know, if you struggle with, if you're like me and you struggle with this, what do you do? You remember that that scandalous grace came to you and it saved a sinner like you. You didn't save yourself by doing the right thing. Jesus saved you because he died for you. And if grace and compassion have come to you, to someone like me, and if God can surely give grace and compassion to someone like that, then I can start to show grace and compassion to someone like that too. It's a scandal of inclusion. Second, it's a scandal of hope. Jesus Christ is a scandal of the world. There's the scandal of inclusion, and there's also the scandal of hope. After Paul talks the tribune out of torture, they, they call an impromptu meeting of the Sanhedrin. It's the, 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 Jewish, the ruling Jewish religious uh, council. And the trial begins by Paul declaring his citizenship. So look at verse 1 of chapter 23. And looking intently at the, the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. That word, lived my life, is literally lived as a citizen. Three times in the past three chapters, Paul has appealed to his good citizenship. He said in chapter 21 that he is a, a good citizen of Tarsus, his hometown. He said just now to the tribune that he's a good citizen of Rome. And now he's saying that I am a good citizen in the kingdom of God. I, I've, I, that, that's the most important, my, my, my identity marker is this is where I belong. And I've... I, I'm in good standing here. I, I've done nothing wrong to run afoul of, the, of this judicial body. But look what happens next. Let me, let me just read verses 2 through 5 again. 
And the high priest, Ananias, commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law you ordered me to be struck? Those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I didn't know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it's written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, Josephus, the, the Jewish historian, the first century Jewish historian, says that Ananias was thoroughly corrupt, that he, used, he even used hired muscle to extort tithing. Kind of like, you know, like a Luca Brazzi from The Godfather. You know, they, they give, the, give them an offer they can't refuse. He extorted tithing, which is something for Holy Trinity to consider in the event of a budget shortfall, I suppose. But that's who he was, and he was eventually he was assassinated. That's just, that, that that was the the feelings towards this guy. But it's an interesting question, you know. Paul says, you know, God's going to to, to strike you, and oh, I didn't know that you were the high priest. It's it's an interesting question of why Paul did not know that he was the high priest. There are three possibilities. One is that Paul had poor eyesight, which he just, he couldn't see him. Another is that in this chaotic scene, he can't quite tell. He hears the voice. He doesn't, say, he doesn't see who the voice, the command comes from. The third possibility, which I don't know if it's true. I kind of hope it's true, is that he's being sarcastic. He's saying, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize this corrupt, godless heathen was the high priest. My bad. I, I, I kind of hope that's true. But whatever the case, all of this is just really the preamble for what Paul says next in verse 6. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other were Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I'm a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. Luke, the author, tells us in the next few verses that the two parties of the council have major theological differences. You've got the, the Sadducees who, uh, they don't believe in bodily resurrection, they don't believe in angels, they don't believe in spirits, they, they have a really narrow view of what they actually believe. And then there are the Pharisees who believe in all those things. So Paul puts himself pretty squarely on the side of the Pharisees here, which divides the assembly and, and even leads to one vocal minority in verse 9 supporting him just to score points against the other side. But notice that Paul doesn't say these words just as a ploy, just as a way of getting himself out of a tight spot. He says them because they're actually true. He's on trial for the hope and the resurrection of the dead. Some translations put this hope in the resurrection of the dead. What he means is that he's on trial for saying that all of the hope of the promises of God to his people, the great story of hope that begins on page one in the Bible, that's all come true in Jesus Christ, and most of all has come true in his resurrection from the dead. Now, the mob that had first gone after him, had, they, they were after him for what he said about the law and the temple, but Paul said, that's just the surface level stuff. What the conflict really comes down to, Paul says, is that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead and he's alive today and he's the Lord and that changes everything. And most of all, 
It means there's hope. Why is that scandalous? It could be scandalous if, like the Sadducees, you, you don't believe it's actually true. Or listen to this. Something Peter Hitchens said, and I, I don't like everything Peter Hitchens says, but I like, I like this one thing he said. Peter Hitchens is the, the brother of Christopher Hitchens, if, and if Christopher Hitchens was kind of the witty, rude atheist, his brother Peter is a witty, rude Christian. That, that's, that's kind of the, the, the vibe he's got. But a number of years ago, he was on a panel in Australia called, it's called the, 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 the Festival of Dangerous Ideas. And on that panel, there's Dan Savage, the sex columnist. There is uh, Jermaine Greer, I think a, a prominent um, feminist. And there's Peter Hitchens. And, and they get to the end. They go, what's, what's the most dangerous idea? And Dan Savage says, he basically says, mandatory universal abortions as a way of, of correcting for overpopulation. And the crowd cheers. They think it's funny. They, 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 they like the idea. Jermaine Greer says something pretty harmless and innocuous about freedom. But here's Peter Hitchens. He says, The most dangerous idea in human history and philosophy remains the belief that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and rose from the dead, and that is the most dangerous idea you'll ever encounter. And Dan Savage, not getting his point, says, I, I have to agree with that. And then the, 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 the moderator cuts in, you know, just quickly, because I think you can't really just leave it there. Why, why dangerous? I can't leave it there, Hitchens asks, because, he says, it alters the whole of human behavior and all our responsibilities. It turns the universe from a, from a meaningless chaos into a designed place in which there is justice and there is hope, and therefore, we all have a duty to discover the nature of that justice and work towards that hope. It alters us all. If we reject it, it alters us all as well. It is incredibly dangerous. It's why so many people turn against it. And the crowd was kind of awkwardly quiet for that one. Scandalous. Maybe closer to home. The hope in a risen Jesus can be scandalous if you actually hope in something else. Do this for me. What, think about the times when you say out loud or when you say in, in your head, if only... If only this happened, then everything would be okay. If, if only this romantic relationship, if only this job, if only this medical prognosis, then everything would be okay. Everything would be okay. When we do that, what's, what's happening? We're, we're putting our ultimate hope in something that could never sustain it. That, if only, is what we're really hoping in. But there's only one, if only, that actually holds up. Tim Keller says that if Jesus Christ was really raised from the dead, then everything really is going to be okay. The past 18 months, just, just, just think about what's, how good news of this is in this season of mass death and loss. The past 18 months, I've buried my father uh, from a heart issue. I buried my, my great aunt a week and a half ago, the last of my grandparents' generation uh, from cancer. 
I found out a few days ago of an old friend who I lost contact with, uh, died of an unnatural, untimely death. I have other friends whose elderly parents have just tested positive for COVID a few days ago. What are the days and the weeks going to be like for them? And that's happening for thousands of people right now. But the wonderful scandal of the gospel is that Jesus is alive. And that one way or another, sooner, maybe sooner, maybe, maybe when all of creation is redeemed, but one way or another, everything really is going to be okay. It's a scandal of hope. The scandal of, of inclusion, the scandal of hope. One more thing. Jesus Christ is a scandal of the world, so take courage and scandalize the world. Look what verse 11 says, how this ends. The following night, the Lord, that's Jesus, stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. The plot of the gospel in Acts goes forward. It's, it starts in Jerusalem, then it goes to the ends of, of the earth, even to Rome, the center of the empire. So Paul gets his marching orders. Get, get, Keep testifying about Jesus. Keep, keep preaching the gospel. Keep bringing this scandal that Jesus is alive and that he's the hope for all the world. I think there's a, there's, there's, for us, there's a charge and a comfort here too. The charge as a church for us is the same as it was for Paul. To keep testifying. To keep preaching the gospel. To keep loving and blessing the world by scandalizing with the gospel. These are our marching orders. We're not to devolve into culture war tribalism. We're not to fall into, to fight for and fuss over respectability. We're not to turn into some kind of second-rate self-help program to, get to just give you a happier marriage or a happier kids or a happier job or a happier whatever. No, it's to declare the wonderful scandalous news that Jesus has been raised from the dead and anyone, and I mean anyone, who trusts in him and faith finds grace and life in him. That's our charge. But there's comfort here too. Take courage. So for Paul, almost lynched one time, almost tortured to death by the state, then almost lynched again a second time, the words... Take courage. You're going to keep testifying about me. John Stott said that it's hard to over-exaggerate how comforting these words would be. Over the next two years for Paul, three more trials, two years of imprisonment, shipwreck, just, just, just suffering on top of suffering. Take courage. And the Lord Jesus continues to speak that to you. Take courage. Is this world full of trouble and suffering and pandemics that assault our bodies and our minds and even our faith? It is. Take courage, he says. Is the Christian's call to be a good citizen in this world but never really belonging and fitting well in it? It is. Take courage. And as you walk with Jesus and you testify to the scandal of his beauty and his goodness and you, and you love other people self-sacrificially just as he self-sacrificially loved you and you live your life as if, as if you belong body and soul to Jesus, the, 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 the living, risen Lord Jesus says to you, take courage. Take courage. 
take courage and scandalize the world. The scandal of inclusion, the scandal of hope. So take courage and scandalize the world. The scandal of the gospel is that, Je- is that the risen Jesus is the hope of the world, that Jesus himself is the scandal of the world. Now, let's be frank a second. There are other scandals out there too, aren't there? Ones that aren't so good. I regularly speak with people whose faith is hanging on by a thread because of church scandals. Abuse scandals, corruption scandals, scandals in which the church has failed to love our neighbors in a time when more than ever they needed our love. Those scandals hurt. And they should be exposed to the light and we should do the long, hard work of listening and healing and, if necessary, repenting. But as awful as those things are, Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. And he's the hope of the world. And he's not just good news for your tribe. He's good news for every tribe. And the most wonderful scandal of all is that at the end of the day, despite all those things, because of Jesus, because he's alive, everything really is going to be okay. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we give you praise for your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us and is alive, who's, who's, not, who's not an idea, who's not some concept in our minds that sounds good, but, you, but he, is, he is as real as we are sitting in this room. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that he is for the world, that his grace extends to all, to people like us. And we pray that in your mercy, as you do a good work in us, that you, that you bring it to completion and that you make us a people who have grace and compassion to everyone, even those on other sides of aisles and in other tribes and other people. And Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. We pray. We pray that the hope of his, his life, the hope of his resurrection, might be for us our hope. That, that the only if only that matters is that if only Jesus is alive and raised from the dead, then everything will be okay. So we pray that you would give us courage. Give us courage to be people of grace and mercy to everyone. And give us courage to bring this hope of a risen Lord Jesus to our city and our world. We pray this all in the risen Jesus' name. Amen.